0: Year in the cycle, the liturgical cycle that leads to Christmas, we we discover three guides that help us to arrive at the birth of of Jesus, Three, three figures that help us to prepare. And the church has always brought these figures. First, Isaiah. From whom we get all these beautiful antiphons and these beautiful passages from the Old Testament, or well, from his uh, his writings, especially in the fashion in the in the antiphons. Today we get the the passage about the dew, Roraticelli radicelli et desuper, which. The church turned into a beautiful hymn. Drop down, dew from above, you heavens, that the clouds rain down, the just one, that the earth be opened and bring forth a savior. The dew, the dew coming down. Figure of Isaiah prominent, and then of course we get John the Baptist. Course, who is a figure we always see, who is the figure that was born for that purpose to prepare the way for the Lord with this stringent life of penance. Then as we're about to arrive, well, we get the marvellous figure of our blessed mother, Mary, <coughs> which means we have a prophet, we have a precursor, and we have a mother. All three together play very specific roles in the the drama of God's coming to earth. The first announced the Messiah from very far with beautiful hymns, with beautiful inspirational uh, poetry that people didn't quite understand, but they knew it was something to do about a figure that was coming, perhaps... Years and years in the future, but certainly from afar. The second, John the Baptist, well, he announces the Lord when he's already actually present. One thing is to announce somebody from afar, the other thing is point to him now and identify him. So much so that he's present that, that people confuse him for being the Messiah. And of course, The third, our Blessed Mother, bore him in her womb. I mean, there couldn't be anybody more intimately involved with him. Naturally, she didn't need to celebrate Advent (coughs) because she lived it in her flesh. And like any mother bearing a child, she knows what it is and what it means to be waiting for someone and can now help us in approaching Christmas with a real expectant faith. You know, she, she was expecting. We say that of, of a woman who is pregnant, she's expecting. It's interesting we say that. She's pregnant, but there's a deep uh, expectation. And we okay. contemplate the mother of God and in the, the three very scriptural mysteries, of course, of the Rosary. The Annunciation, in which her mission is established. The Visitation, in which she reaches out to Elizabeth. When her mission is established, she, she goes on that mission. And of course, the birth, when she presents him to the world. And those joyful mysteries, which we, well, we pray every day, either by praying them or by meditating on them, these present to, to us really the central events of her life. They were present, they're all present there in St. Luke. But today's uh, Gospel reading of Sunday, the 19th, focuses on the middle one, the visitation. And, uh, well, she could only have gone to visit her cousin because of the soundness and clarity of what she understood in the Annunciation, the the message she got there, but also because of the beauty of her fiat. If she didn't clearly say that fiat to the angel, that is, if she didn't clearly respond yes to what she understood, she would not have left. And uh, probably the most... uh, Know, clear word that we always associate with the enunciation is that we say that that's the fiat of our blessed mother that is be it done in greek the word would have been genoito genoito of course I know you're perfectly familiar with genoito I know you you know in some audience you say the fiat of our mother and they'll say the, what's the fiat I thought that was, that was a car you know? it used to be a car called the fiat but uh, but of course, Our Lady didn't say "Goinoito," she didn't say "Fiat" because she didn't speak Latin and she didn't speak Greek. Mm-hmm. And so, what expression would she have used exactly? Like there are um, there are authors who like to study the Gospel and, and study exactly what a given figure would have said, not the translation. They want to hear. You know, how our Lord spoke they want to hear the figures and um, and well that's what they call the ipsissima vox Jesu or the ipsissima vox the exact, they want to go back to exactly the very words. like if you had recorded it what would our lady have said? well she didn't say fiat because she didn't speak Latin she didn't say Goinoto because she didn't speak Greek she said somehow in English it would have been bittan Be bittan Be but she didn't speak English either so what on earth did it sound like? If you were a little mouse there and you would have listened, she would have said something like the Hebrew word. She would have said, Amen. Amen. That's probably what she would have said. And uh, and it really you know, is a beautiful Hebrew word that has its roots, that 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 suggests solidity it's an amen that suggests soundness Mm -hmm. and in fact it was used in the liturgy Mm -hmm. as an answer to god's word that's why when we hear god's word we said this we say this is the word of the lord and we say amen or thanks be to god thanks be to god but she would have said amen meaning she had a perfect understanding or perfect understanding, perfect conviction that this came from God, that this was the Word of God, what the angel said. And with her fiat, with her amen, Mary was the first member in the order of time and importance of the Church. But what is most beautiful in this expression now as we arrive to the scene of the visitation is of course it says Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. That's probably the best word in that like the equivalent of of the Amen of the Annunciation. The best word in the uh, passage of the visitation is cum festinatione. Cum festinatione. I don't know how you say cum festinatione in Greek, sorry, I didn't look it up. But, uh, uh, you know, cum festinatione, which means in haste. And uh, that is the first expression in the history of the church of the heroic minute. Because she, God, I have to get up, I have to go now. Because she became so convinced of her mission, of her purpose. and That's why we can do the heroic minute in the morning. Why do we do the heroic minute? Do we do the heroic minute because, well, I'm, I've just slept perfectly fine. I am wonderfully in good shape. I'm not tired at all. I am happy to get up because <clears throat> I, had, uh, I had 10 hours of sleep and I can now get up now. Uh, I don't think so, probably were exhausted, we didn't get, we were woken up by the frat boys, uh, <laughs> several times They were screaming and saying whatnot, not, and, uh, and we get up. Right? But the energy to get up is, I have a mission in God's plan. I have a mission, I have a purpose here, you know, in Lain I have a purpose. And I have to get up right away. Not just because there's that little time to prepare to get to the prayer or to get to the, the work you have to do. That's part of it, I suppose. But, I knew a guy who was in a seminary and uh, Mass was at uh, like 6.30 or something. And he would always get up at 6.27. Oh my God. <laughs> he was very fast. You know, very fast. Yeah. 6.27. I thought, like, like 627 is like cutting it a bit short. (laughs) Why don't you maybe get up a little bit earlier? Then you can pray on your way. He says, yeah, okay, well, I know, but blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, it's just like he wasn't particularly interested in getting to the prayer. I don't know if it was the prayer or the mass, honestly, but, you know, it was a fundamental function of the seminary at that time. So uh, you can't just cut it short. I mean, it, it indicates with what kind of conviction of the mystery that we have um, when let's say by the way we move not by not by you know sometimes people just running running around all day and we can't run around either right to, I guess we have to do a slow heroic minute I don't know but uh, you know when I was in Montreal I I was doing all kinds of things there and I was staying at another center and uh, you know, I had a lot of you know, a lot of stuff to do, and I had a retreat to preach, but then other stuff. And then one day, like after a long day, I get home, and there's a box there, and it says my name, and the address of the center where I do not live. <laughs> and uh, what is this? Small little box, like little a parcel, and it says in the corner the return address was Santos Rima Institute. Okay so I it's interesting what is this so I kind of hacked it open and got it open and it was a mug <laughs> it's a mug and it says the heroic minute <laughs> with coffee blend right? and next to it there was a little sachet of the heroic minute coffee blend right? and uh, a thank you card because you know I did the uh, podcast for the heroic minute for, no I mean for the Santos Maria <laughs> Institute <laughs> Which is the same thing, probably. But, um, and some Christmas cards, uh, you know, stuff, were thanking me for that. So that's how they thanked me, with a mug of the Heroic Minute. So, probably soon you'll see it in the, in the, you'll see the Heroic Minute mug. All right? Which is a nice mug, it's not as big as the other ones, but anyways, it's, it's good enough, I'll take it. And, um, you know, and so, getting up cum festinatione getting up in the heroic moment as Our Lady did is a sign of the sureness of her conviction in her vocational uh, endeavor in what some people call the theodrama like she's in a drama now it's not a self focused drama it's not about herself she goes out and with speed and uh, we too are on a mission Mary was on a mission and that mission led her uh, to go out of herself it didn't lead her to stay within herself and stay what her needs are. She immediately thought of the needs of Elizabeth. which is quite uh, beautiful when you think about it, right? and she went at the danger we could think we could imagine she brought Joseph with her who well, who conspired to? He, he 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 protected her, perhaps. But but maybe I don't know. I just maybe she didn't. I, I thought the other day maybe Joseph was there to help focus on Joseph's mission, was which, which was more one of protecting and, and playing his role. But she was actively going, and uh, you could say she leaves a kind of a wake, like a ship, a large ship that goes through the water leaves a wake behind her, and um, and that wake leads to greater faith and greater hope. Two things which Jesus did not need. He did not need faith. He did not need hope because he was the full realization of that faith and that hope. And uh, he cannot be the subject of Christian faith because he is its object. He cannot be the subject of Christian. Uh, well, he is, the, he, he is the subject of our hope. Right? But, um, but the letter to the Hebrews gives us a list of those who had faith by the faith of Abel, by the faith of Abraham, by the faith of Moses. And of course, all those great figures, but not Jesus. Jesus, we don't follow the faith of Jesus. He is really the founder and perfecter of faith, the one on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. But one but but not one of the believers not even the first of the believers. Perhaps Mary is the first of those who have a mission. And that way, she is the mother of the Church because it is always the Church who has hope, the Church who has believed, but not Christ. Christ is not believed. And right from the Fathers, it has followed the criterion that can be expressed in this way that Mary, uh, it said, it said, Maria vel Ecclesia vel Anima. Mary, or rather the church, or rather the soul. And the meaning is what is said, especially of Mary in scripture, is also universally meant for us, for the church. And what is universally said of the church is meant personally in each believer. We are, of course, believers and well, we have to ask for that uh, increase in faith, in particular in our role in this great uh, drama, which is to go out, to go out to others. And um, and it is beautiful to see how she goes out to her cousin. And we have this passage. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And uh, she, this is a beautiful expression, and how does it happen to me, this humble uh, acknowledgement, but how does it happen to me, that the mother of our Lord, my Lord, that, that was quite uh, something that, that she describes Mary as the mother of my Lord, of Adonai, of the lord yahweh that already there is an an explicit explicit expression that that the baby in her womb was lord was lord and god and uh you know that that was clearly an expression of faith on the part of elizabeth one of the first expressions of faith in in the divinity of christ and uh the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Why? She, why she knew that? Well, it was because John the Baptist was playing his role in helping her to see that faith. This is a mysterious thing, how a child can do that, but somewhat of a miracle that that movement in her womb was a movement of joy, a kind of a dance. Uh, and that that kind of dance of John the Baptist echoes the dance of David when the ark of the covenant was being brought in to Jerusalem the ark of the covenant being the divine the the holiest of holies and he he dances in front with all the people watching he dances in front of that this is exactly what John the Baptist is doing when Jesus arrives in the ark which is Mary she mark is uh, Mary is the ark of the covenant because she holds the holiest of holies our lord Jesus Christ who is the, our divine Lord and in front of that so John the Baptist is like the new David in that sense he is the one who dances and 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 by the way he dances uh, shows um, shows the people his veneration and his adoration of the real presence there in uh, in at least its uh, its beginnings there in front of the the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant was the holiest thing you could imagine mm-hmm. He was not able to build a temple, but uh, his son Solomon certainly did. For the moment, at the moment, the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the sound of Mary. She must have said something. The infant in my womb leapt for joy. So John the Baptist heard the sound of Mary greeting. Hello, Elizabeth, or whatever she said. And then that child in the womb... Connected, oh, that's Mary. That's Mary. And if it's Mary, it's the Ark of the Covenant. And if it's the Ark of the Covenant, it has our Blessed Lord. Blessed are you who believed what was spoken to you by the Lord uh, would be fulfilled. And so, so she gives that greeting to, to Mary because that harks back to the fiat of Our Lady who believed the message of the angel. And it was what made her Go and visit Elizabeth like that. And one one preacher said uh, in France described it as as that meaning of the visit or the the connection of Mary with Elizabeth as cette set conspiration divine, right? which is uh, uh, it sounds bad in English, I guess. Uh, when we when we say d- a divine conspiration, conspiration, like a conspiracy, a conspiracy doesn't sound too good, you know. It's always something negative. Um, but in French, it comes from the from the Latin "conspirare," which spirare, which means to breathe. The breathing together of these two figures, and uh, there's like a kind of a suggesting suggestion that is the Holy Spirit that is breathing there together. The announcement of the truth of of the incarnation and it has to of course it fills us with joy after that comes Our Lady's Magnificat so when we picture her arriving Mary arriving to her cousin and when we picture the two women embracing the image of the New Testament and the Old Testament embracing is what we get there and together uh, around these two wombs is Christ at the center at the center and uh, and so oh, Mary speaks to us of the importance of our faith and uh, there cannot be you know sound or cannot be music if there's no ear to hear it no matter how many me- melodies or how sublime uh, the chords fill the air there's no grace or at least grace cannot work if there's no faith to accept it we, we ask this now uh, as we consider the beauty of this, of this beautiful story and we, well, we meditate on, on it very frequently you know, the, the image of the John's joy when he quivers when he leaps when it's called a dance he's, he's restless to get going but he's also the link between the two testaments Am I restless to get going in the morning? Am I restless to live out my vocation? And, um, and uh, you know, ancient uh, and modern uh, theologians have seen in this action of, of also of John the Baptist's <coughs> quiver uh, as an indication of the sanctification of, of John, John the Baptist in his mother's womb. So he was already sanctified right there that moment, right? And uh, so it's as though John Baptist is already on his uh, day planner. He's organizing everything already. He's gonna, I'm gonna go in the desert. Then I'm gonna do this. Then I'm gonna speak to so and so. I'm gonna wear camel's hair. I'm gonna wear gra- eat grasshopper things. And uh, you know, he's he's setting it all up. He's just getting ready. And um, he's also, it's like somebody getting up, waking up early before the alarm, and think, okay, I have to do this. I'm gonna do that. Then I'm gonna. Work on this thing. Then I'm going to call so and so. I'm going to, you know, invite her to this. And and so all this shows that uh, our life completely changes when we are focused on our mission. When we understand and embrace our mission, our vocation, and we are deeply entrenched and focused in on this this drama, which is our, our divine vocation to bring the love of God to souls. And, and uh, this happens in a particular way now during Christmas. I know there are these stories of restrictions and stuff, and it's, it's very, very unfortunate, but let's not let all those things... I mean, they're going to try to... Who knows? Maybe the devil is is behind all these restrictions and stuff. Who knows? But... The, you know, because he wants to stop us from experiencing the joy of Christmas. He Wants to stop us from focusing in on our Lord and on the others. And uh, but we won't let him. We just won't let him. Just forget it. You know, just tell him where to go. He's the only guy you can tell where to go. And uh, let's try to live these days, these next days, certainly focused in us, you know, in fraternity, focused on others. But especially um, ready to embrace joyfully our mission here to bring the love of God to souls. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, to for me.